Monday night edition of the pod, our sleepy midweek episode has been disrupted by the trade of Eric Bledsoe to the Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to get into that, the salary cap implications, why it was that this return seems so low, what that pick that's going back to Phoenix is going to look like. Sponsored today by SeatGeek. Use that cap space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And MeUndies, MeUndies.com slash cap space is your url to get 20 percent off with free shipping and a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee on meundies best softest underwear you'll ever own what was your initial reaction when you found out about the trade danny shock that milwaukee got him for that little i mean there the protection is interesting and we'll talk about that this trade combines a few of things that i just love talking about so there's a lot to, lot to pick up here but you and i when we did that conversation about fake eric butso trades the argument we had was about whether you wanted to include Bledsoe or whether you wanted to include more assets to get rid of worse contracts. Well, they didn't really have to do either one of those. You know, they did give up a first round pick. Eventually, we don't know exactly when it'll be. But Monroe, as opposed to a, another player, is a very different cost in terms of the long term buck. Yeah, let's get down the exact terms of the trade. Eric Bledsoe, he is due $14.5 million this season, $15 million next year. Greg Monroe making $17.9 million in the last year of his contract sent to the phoenix suns there is also a pick which we'll get to in greater detail 2018 first round pick but with a lot of protection on it the suns only get it if if it's between 11 to 16 this year next year they only get it if it's 4 to 16 in 2020 they get it if it's 8 to 30 and then 2021 it is completely unprotected also just from a salary cap standpoint here the bucks now clearing out another few million below the tax they are now 4.4 million below the tax which they will not be paying this season so that gives them just a little bit more wiggle room that extra three million dollars or so to go out and make some more moves potentially at the deadline let's discuss that pick protection though basically looks like to me you would expect the bucks to be better than the number 16 pick these next two years so most likely then it's going to convey in 2020 right what makes this more compelling than it would be otherwise is the fact that it's to 16 not to 14 because there are 16 teams that make the playoffs so if then this year in all likelihood the last two the 15 and 16 picks will be the seven and eight seeds in the east because the west looks like it's going to be stronger so there is a way that milwaukee can make the playoffs and can edge in and, and still lose the pick especially by getting eric bledsoe they're better i think than that probably it's not definite but they probably are so i agree with you and when i i did a breakdown of this trade for the sporting news i treated that as the most likely outcome that they're they will convey a pick in 2020 that my instinct is it'll probably be in the the better part of the 20 range you know so then they won't be one of the, like the four or five best teams in the league but you know they'll be in the 10 best teams in the league yeah, and we'll see i mean they lost again tonight now four and six have not looked good their center position which is going to be a big liability now Monroe wasn't helping them when he had that calf injury but certainly was the best of their centers they got trucked by Kevin Love in the post tonight and those guys really get in foul trouble very easily maybe we'll see more of Giannis at center so I think they are going to have a weak point now they could always maybe make another trade for a center who will help them this year as well still when you just look at what similar players were traded for and we talked about that quite a bit a couple of weeks ago when the news first came down that Bledsoe would be 
traded and had been sent home given the caliber of player that he is this is probably the least that such a player uh, has ever been traded for i mean i shouldn't say ever but uh, at least as of the time when you're talking about draft pick compensation uh and especially the fact that the pick itself is unlikely to convey until 2020 when in theory i mean the bucks would be are supposed to be better in 2020 right than they are this year i mean i, I might have really wanted to get that pick this year if i were uh if i were the Suns, but you know they might have some reasons for not everyone not wanting to do that. they already have a boatload of young guys on the team that they still need to figure out and you know there's a chance especially because the the protection weakens that you know if we're if we end up being surprised and with the way lottery reform is going it, it will be a little bit harder to pinpoint your place but the there i think that the element of milwaukee clearing space this year has been underappreciated for a couple there there are a couple reasons why i think that one is they have ways to actually use it first off they still have a trade exception from roy hibbert that's about five million that runs until late february so they could use that if they wanted to to add some money they also still have almost their entire mid-level exception because they use part of it for sterling brown but they still have the rest of it so if they want to use that money they can and they can do it later if they want because they'll have certainty so they can the other way they can use that money and i think this is the most interesting possibility is by doing an uh, by doing a trade where they take on slightly more money for what they hope is a better player so like for example milwaukee has this slew of players who make between nine and eleven million dollars for varying durations so delvadova for three for three years including this year toledovich for two john henson for three and so those players aren't great they aren't amazing values on their contract but there could be teams that aren't just happy with their center because there are a lot of players who spend about that kind of money and might just say yeah we'll do that kind of a deal we'll save a couple million and yeah that does put them in greater peril for next year but if they can get that upgrade especially off a guy like Delvadova, who's been marginalized in the rotation it could work out also a concern here for milwaukee going forward next year monroe was going to be off the books that was going to help them a lot when it came to re-sign jabari parker remember him he may provide them some more bench scoring later on although now i think if you can keep one of bledsoe or Giannis on the floor at all times you should be able to maintain some offensive competence i think they didn't really have anybody with much burst to run the offense when Giannis was out of the game so they've solved that problem to some degree still think they're going to miss Monroe just because Thon and John Henson have not been very good so far but the next year now they're going to have assuming they keep their pick only about 13 million in room below the tax and that will not be enough to re-sign Jabari Parker you would imagine unless he just really struggles and ends up just taking his qualifying offer or something almost certain that he will not re-sign for a contract that is multi-year starting at 13 million per season or less so that means if they want to retain parker they're gonna to have to get off some money and you mentioned the uh the big three there of delvadova toledovich and henson they could stretch toledovich that would open up another seven million or so next season but then you've got a lot of dead money already you've got larry sanders stretch you got hawes stretch toledovich stretch now you're getting up to just having seven million in dead money on your cap for the next few years that's not great uh so they would like to get around that would they have to give up a draft pick to get off of that last year of Toledovich's salary tough to say there as well probably same thing with Henson same thing with Delvadova at this point and Delvadova and Henson go two more years out so Toledovich is the likely guy there that's a concern but I think just getting Bledsoe it really seemed like and I've heard a little bit to this effect not something I would take as gospel that the Suns really needed someone who's an expiring contract that's something that they really had emphasized and now having gotten Monroe they project at about 14.5 million in 
space depending of course on where their draft picks end up um i'm not sure exactly what they're going to do with that space next season they would have been basically right at the cap had it not been for that but it had it not been for this trade what do you think of the suns prioritizing getting off of money for next year and what do you think might be the motivations behind that for a team that is unlikely to be a free agent destination ownership and incidentally a former employee of the phoenix suns amino hassan is the one who argued this strenuously to me and i disagreed with this a few years ago that ownership is the greatest competitive advantage in the nba right now and the reason why you take and i expressed worry about this we both did before the trade happened that they would prioritize saving their owner money instead of getting the best return possible and it's that we will never know all the offers they got but that seems likely here and it's disappointing because you want everybody to maximize their opportunity but if your goal is to save money then this is a certainly a way to do it and a gm who wants to save their job is going to do what the owner wants and i think that's the best explanation is far from the only one because they can use the specter of being one of the few teams with cap flexibility as a selling point but my issue with that is they don't have enough flexibility to really use it and then also they want to be players in 2019 it sounds like and you really can't spend in 2018 if you want to spend in 2019 yeah or it would be one of these one-year deal type of things i do think if you look at some of the other potential suitors here denver was one of them and i know that denver at least made an offer that they thought was competitive i don't know exactly what that offer was but for denver they really could not make an offer they were wilson chandler is really the only guy on their team that they could have given up that would have been an expiring contract and so it would have had to have been Farid. it would have had to have been Darrell arthur both of whom go a year later on to match the salary or uh god forbid mason plumley so and then if you look at cleveland really their only big expiring contract this year would have been channing fry who actually could probably help us on frankly uh with the, a young team with some guys you know to face the floor for them and you're really i think there's two reasons why for the suns it would have been nice if they could have taken on some more long-term money number one if they could have taken on a, a henson or a teletovich they probably could have gotten a lot more out of the buck uh because the bucks probably wanted to hold on to monroe you know he's he actually can play this year i'm sure that demanding monroe back i mean monroe's just going to get bought out but he can play you know like if you're just taking back dead salary and, and they're going to try and trade him but i doubt they'll succeed really but it's not like he's worthless in a trade when aggregated with other stuff it's just you know maybe he's not good enough to draw a ton on his own obviously the bucks had made efforts to trade him in the past on that contract so the suns really limited their options both with the bucks and then with other teams to really establish a competitive marketplace for bledsoe because they're just they're taking themselves out of this idea of taking back salary for next year and maybe we'll see like hey you know what they take on bad salary in the summer of 2018 and they get way more in terms of draft picks than than you know they might have gotten uh with assets in this trade you know maybe that calculation that that cap space would be worth more than will end up being a correct one but i think as far as this trade is concerned they really limited themselves if in fact they were unwilling to take back money and it really seemed like it was their big priority to get off of money and don't forget here too you mentioned sarver he is rumored to be trying to sell the team and generally when the team is trying to be sold everyone's like oh well we don't want to have any contracts on the books because then we can get more for the team you know which i always felt was somewhat short-sighted you should operate your team to try and win and that'll make you the most money eventually but that's that's a very kind of just regular business strategy as opposed to a to like make your corporation as lean as possible before you sell it as opposed to maybe an nba strategy right and when i was working through this trade before you know i kind of earlier in the day one of the things that i realized is just how hard it's going to be to trade greg monroe because there are certainly teams that are interested in him and that would like to have him but he makes a ton of money this year 17.9 million is a lot of money 
And if the Suns don't want to take long-term salary back, there is not that big a field by which to do it. You know, like there, there are certainly teams that would love to have Greg Monroe. And so then another element of this is those teams will probably just wait at, wait out and get him on the buyout market because you're already, you know, having him for the next month or whatever it's going to be before they give up is would be nice, but it isn't mandatory. And that also could affect the way teams think about Julio Okafor and numerous other things because the teams that want Monroe don't have this kind of expiring contract. Contract. There also aren't that many big expiring contracts this year because most of the guys who have big expiring contracts sign or big contracts sign for longer because they signed in 2016 or something like that. So there just aren't that many deals that are possible. And maybe they could do something else. And if they wanted to take on long term money, they could and probably should have done it now. You want to use Bledsoe for that. You don't want to use an inferior chip to do that in Greg Monroe. Probably. Okay, we got a lot more to talk about here. We got to discuss how this is going to affect both teams on the floor. I also actually have a fake. Monroe trade I would like to get your thoughts on but first this from MeUndies the greatest compliment that I can give MeUndies is that I forget that I have underwear on at all pretty much at all times throughout the day pretty much any other underwear that I've ever owned it bunches up things kind of get stuck you have to make adjustments I never have to do that with MeUndies it just fits perfectly and is extremely comfortable thanks to their sustainably sourced Modal which is three times softer than cotton I think it's the most comfortable pair that I've ever owned I always go to the MeUndies first when all my underwear is clean. I use them all up first. And you don't necessarily have to trust me alone on it because if you don't love your first pair, you'll get a full refund. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you want to get started with them, make sure that you go to MeUndies.com slash Capspace. That's a URL, MeUndies.com slash Capspace, which of course we're talking about extensively here with the Bucks and the Suns. That'll get you 20% off your first pair plus free shipping. Start wearing the best underwear of your life. Go to meundies.com slash cap space right now and let them know that you came from us so here is my and Woj reporting that the Suns will not engage in buyout discussions yet with Monroe that of course could be a leverage play as well to save more money unless he gives a lot back and there certainly are some teams that really would be very interested in getting him once he in fact is waived you know Boston has that 8.4 million dollar disabled player exception is one that really pops out at you there as maybe the team that can offer the most among contenders and that's where Monroe would like to go because now with him about to be a free agent he would love to be in the spotlight and get some playing time and get his next contract by the way this is one of those ones where under the old rules back 10 years ago they probably would have just had worked it out so Monroe got waived and went right back to the box like because they probably have like the most space for him now uh but of course you cannot do that any longer once a guy gets traded to just have him come re-sign him here's my trade though Amir Johnson and Jaleel Okafor for Monroe there's a reason presumably why Colangelo gave Amir Johnson $11 million. We don't know exactly what that reason is. I mean, Okafor has been, he was genuinely awful tonight. I'll take a second to talk about that. If we, if we shouldn't, we don't need to talk about the game, but he was awful tonight. But I I like the idea of it if I were running them because you get the benefit of a superior player and somebody who can provide some value for, for Philly's second unit. And, you know, it's kind of like a second draft on Okafor without a long-term commitment and you do have his bird rights. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm loosely on board with that. I think that's much more realistic than the ideas of them taking on salary at this point of them taking on let's say Shumpert or I I've, I think you know in other circumstances taking on like some of the bad contracts on New Orleans would be an interesting option but that just doesn't seem like what they're going to do so your option seems more realistic at the very least yeah that's an interesting one but Monroe I think could really help Philly a lot he's clearly much better than Okafor and Phoenix could get Okafor by giving up someone who wouldn't really be of use to them this year actually I mean Monroe would be by far the best 
best center on their actual team but they're not trying to win games this year let's talk about how this affects the milwaukee bucks on the floor now bledsoe presumably will slot in as the starter i'm guessing they probably will move brogdon to the bench and then continue with snell and middleton i think that's what what i would do get a little more defense and shooting and then you could have brogdon and Giannis play together on the second unit del vadova might still play a little bit too off the bench and maybe they'll use brogdon more as a backup shooting guard that'll mean that jason terry won't play sterling brown won't play deandre liggins who was bad tonight won't play rashad vaughn who had that option declined won't play so that i think is important in addition to the addition the creation that bledsoe will provide you're now pushing a replacement level guy basically out of the rotation so that'll help a lot I think we'll see more of Giannis at center. I mean, I think the fouling at center and anyone who really gets after it on the offensive glass is going to cause big problems, especially for Henson, because at least Thon Maker, he spaces the floor enough to cause problems for those big bruiser types on defense. But Henson is super skinny and can't deal with guys and also like doesn't space the floor and it's more of a traditional center so he really you're getting the worst of both worlds with him out there uh they started henson tonight brought maker off the bench which was interesting but i think the, they combined for five fouls in, in the first quarter as kevin love had 30 points on one of the most efficient nights that, that you'll ever see tonight so we'll see how it goes with them at center but there's gonna be a lot of pressure to win quickly bledsoe may make his debut tomorrow i think in san antonio we'll see what kind of shape he's in after taking a couple of weeks off he was due to make his return to the facility facility this morning just to work out and stay in shape so who knows what he's been doing the last two weeks so how soon he can help them but with them at at four and six now and kind of in a little bit of a tailspin he's going to help them but they got to turn it around pretty quickly if they're going to have reached the expectations that i think people have for them this year now that they've acquired so that's very true i'll note that the game against the spurs is on friday so i would guess that he will he will he will have time in that game is in san antonio with eric bledsoe so he turns 28 almost exactly a month from now and and we just have to wonder whether he is the player that we remember because he did play 66 games last year, but it was on a largely hopeless team and he would have played more than 66 games if they hadn't benched him. And I want to talk about that later. I think there's a lesson to be learned there. But Bledsoe has been inconsistent in terms of his three point shooting. He's had a couple of years where he's been over 37 percent. His career average is around 33. That's where he was last year. And one thing that's unusual about him last year was a more traditional split. He was 37 percent on catch and shoot and 30 percent on pull up threes. But the last two years before that he was the opposite actually and so it's again it's not the biggest sample so you don't want to go too nuts about it but what Bledsoe we get there and then the bigger part in some ways for me on that way is the athleticism and defensive effort because Bledsoe you know 25 26 year old that type of thing is you know if he can be that guy then he's a huge difference maker for the Bucks and he can be productive even if he isn't that guy but that's really what they're looking for and we can't be completely sure that that's still all the way there no we can't although I will say this too that switching is a great way to help lazy defenders be better because at least once their guy has the ball and they're not necessarily getting a screen then they've got to just guard it one-on-one in an ISO even lazy defenders will do that they're not too lazy to like try and defend it in an ISO getting over a screen is another matter but with switching you take that away um or I mean if, if Bledsoe were going to play more conventional pick and roll defense which you showed a facility at in the past maybe that would be good as well but the Bucks system also doesn't really take advantage of 
of either of those things for him because the trapping that works great to protect your point guard who just can't get over a screen at all right because you bring another guy up there you force the guy to get rid of the ball and then you recover on the backside. it really doesn't matter whether your point guard can get over a screen or not in those circumstances right like you're really protecting that kind of a player that's a if you want to go back for an example miami in the 2011 conference finals did a lot of trapping and they got away with mike bibby guarding derrick rose because of that they would run a pick and roll and they trap rose and get it out of his hands and mike bibby couldn't guard a phone book at that point but rose wasn't able to beat him because they were running a lot of pick and roll and bringing another guy up to the ball so again this is another plea for the bucks to maybe change up their scheme a little bit because now you have another guy at point guard who can be really effective switching Bledsoe is really strong he's got that six eight wingspan he's tough very difficult to post up when he's locked in and the bucks obviously especially with thon have a lot of ability to switch henson is probably too slow to switch very often but so now that segues into another thing that there's gonna be a lot of pressure on jason kidd you've now added another guy with great defensive potential if not results over the last couple of seasons and if their defense doesn't improve like he the blame has is going to fall on him and in my opinion should fall on they also have another creator on offense so it's not as justifiable if they have these real lulls whether it's with or without Giannis like now they have players they can make that work and they have a lot of talent that should be able to maximize those opportunities Middleton I trust a lot better to finish created plays rather than create them himself Snell I don't trust him to create anything so I think you have those guys running together and kid will bear the brunt on both ends of the floor to me and that's why you know if this doesn't work out then they are the right pieces though for the 2018-19 coach of the Milwaukee Bucks to really make some noise (laughs) what's your predicted record for the Bucks the the rest of the way like what or I mean we have to calculate that exactly but what pace are they going to play at you know I saw them as a 44 win team coming into the season it's kind of looked like they're about on that path so far even with Giannis playing at just this unbelievable level I mean he had 40 points again tonight just completely unstoppable um oh and one more thing you can add too is that Bledsoe at least back in the day he he is used to playing at a very high pace the Suns have played at a very high pace he gets the ball and pushes it and now that'll he can either run with Giannis or if Giannis gets down on the wing Bledsoe can push it up Brogdon Delhi, those guys weren't really guys who could push the ball and be a huge threat themselves with the ball in their hands on the fast break so I, I think their fast break game could really improve with, with Bledsoe out there but yeah so you know if I had to eyeball it you know maybe he adds three or four wins to their ledger and they're a high 40s win team from here on out is at least where I'd say they are talent wise uh, what about you I was thinking 45 to 47 win pace so a little bit lower than you but not too much and part of that is just because the incorporation time is going to be significant so yeah I, I think that's about right do we have a little bit of time for me I think there there I, I wrote in the outline Danny story time because I think there are two important lessons from the Bledsoe saga that li- our listeners would enjoy Let more me than finish up one more thing before you get to that sure uh part of why I wouldn't bump it up that much for them is number one Brogdon is solid but he's still gonna play a lot the other is just that we don't know what they have at center right I mean they're really like Thon is gonna have to step up now or maybe they're gonna have to find another center somehow because Henson is not the answer I don't think and you know I, I really like Thon as a way to help out with their shooting but they really have not used him all that well he's got to kind of get some more shots from three get respected a little bit more teams aren't doing the whole like stick to him the way they do some of the other shooting centers and yeah Bledsoe is an upgrade and an upgrade in a way that I think they needed as someone who can do something off the dribble they really didn't have anyone else like that on the team but the downgrade at center will be significant now they weren't getting anything from Monroe yet but presumably they would have once he had become healthy but yeah let's uh let's hit that story time though I I want to hear this so the first one is chronologically the more recent so as of the all-star break last year the Phoenix Sun 
Pistons were 18 and 39. They had the second worst record in the NBA just ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. And we don't know what the offers were, but they decided to keep Eric Bledsoe. Less than a month later, they healthy scratch him for the entire rest of the season. And they get the return now back they did. If that, it wasn't hard to see this coming. If they, you know, they knew they were terrible. There wasn't, I mean, there was a chance that, oh, if they won, like, if they went on a huge run, they were going to, they could make their way back in the playoffs. But it was unrealistic. They weren't good. It's not like they were showing these signs. They were giving up 112 points a game. So I think the one of the lessons there is do that because think about what that other team would have got because they would have had two full years of Bledsoe, the two years, and they would have gotten that playoff run and incorporation, all that. And he, ha- I think he had more value than he was in a malcontent, uh, as, as, at least as much. And you had you had all those things running together. So it's like, how did they not see this coming? So that's the first story. The second one is that this is a smaller one and one that I've been a bigger nerd on than just about anybody predates dunked on but it goes back to an underrated mistake that the bucks made back in 2013 so in 2013 there was this big three-way trade where the bucks sent jj reddick to the clippers and the Suns sent jared dudley to the clippers and because they had to send out salary in the trade they sent out karan butler to make this all work phoenix took on karan butler and despite sending back the inferior player they got eric bledsoe in that deal he was the best asset return and what makes that so crazy is that Milwaukee basically wanted to keep their options open with their cap space. They ended up trading for Karan Butler specifically a month and a half later and for, for you know, a modest return. And so basically they lost out. They should have had Eric Bledsoe for the last four years. And actually, you could argue they benefited from not having him because it opened up Giannis. But it's just another one of those kind of crazy karmic things that sometimes happens in sport. Yeah, I think the first of those two points is compelling that really they probably should have done better. And the Pacers with Paul George as well probably could have gotten more had they moved earlier now the Bulls did move pretty early with Jimmy Butler and we'll see what that return ends up being at least Markinen looks better than we expected so far and we'll see how Levine looks you know I think if Markinen matures into a higher end starter that that deal won't look quite as bad but generally the longer you wait on these things the worse it ends up getting and you lose any internal leverage of just hey nobody believes you that you're just going to keep the guy if you do it early enough the teams that go early you know like Darren Williams with the Jazz for example is a great example of this that you really can do better under those circumstances all right we're going to talk about some of tonight's games momentarily here in our next segment because we're not even doing an ad read yet so let's start with Cavs and the aforementioned Bucks here. 124-119. Cleveland takes it. Their offense looks better. Only got up 18 three-point attempts, but made nine of them, which really helped a lot. But the bigger thing was that Kevin Love had his best game in quite some time. Just destroyed the Milwaukee Bucks big men. Love was huge. And so J.R. Smith had his best game in a while too. J.R. had 20 points, 7 to 12 from the field. But yeah, Love was the bigger element there. Not not only because of his line and his impact, but because he helped get M- Milwaukee's bigs in foul trouble, which ended up having a major impact on the game. Yeah, and we've seen that Love's main con- contribution has been as a floor spacer and a three-point shooter. At center today, not the case at all. He was pick and rolling, rolling right to the basket. He did not even attempt a single three-pointer. Instead, he bludgeoned the Bucks on the offensive glass. Eight offensive rebounds, picked up another couple of loose ball fouls on offensive boards as well. 32 points. 9 of 14 from the field and got to the foul line for 14 out of 16 even had a block on Giannis as well but just was absolutely dominating the Bucks around the rim and then well the Bucks scored well a lot of that was in transition they weren't necessarily taking advantage of love as much defensively and then you mentioned JR too I think that 
when he's going well five of seven on threes 20 points in some ways he's almost a more important player for them than love is especially in this current iteration right now where they just don't have anyone else who's making a shot on the wing and that is uh pretty enormous for them to get him going as he has these last couple of games something else fundamental that i want to keep an eye on is that cleveland also forced 17 turnovers which is better than they've done during this run i didn't think when i was watching it that it was some particularly dominant performance for them especially because more than half of them were dead ball turnovers but still getting that that's kind of how you survive a team shooting over 55 percent from the field the bucks were 47 of 83 that so you get that shooting 50 percent yourself and then also of course shooting twice as many free throws as the other team attempts is making twice as many as the other team attempts is helpful yeah and Giannis had an interesting line 40 points 16 of 21 from the field basically just getting to the rim at will the Cavs porous transition defense was absolutely powerless against him eight of 11 from the foul line as well he had four offensive boards of his own but he also did have uh, eight turnovers in this one and fouled out eventually as well and I think that's another thing too is that if he's going to play more center which he may have to now with Monroe gone and with Bledsoe here is just another quality perimeter pruner player who's going to push everyone up a position and he's another kind of you know he's not slight anymore but he is somewhat foul prone between he henson and maker that's your three-headed center monster at the moment you can see foul trouble and then you know Giannis getting in foul trouble has hurt them already in a couple of games this season i also wonder just about the reliability of the shots milwaukee's gonna get for everybody else if they're gonna kill it in the restricted area which they will with Giannis, they're gonna get that benefit and they need to get to the line a little bit more than they did here but i wonder if having bledsoe is going to lead to just better looks for everybody else it seems like periodically at least they settle too much when they're not getting those amazing looks yeah uh, that hasn't been something that i've noticed that much settling necessarily so much as it's more you know they don't have a ton going in the half court in terms of offense off ball stuff they only really have one guy who can get to the rim and even Giannis in the half court he does much better just kind of going one-on-one without a screen than really in actions that involve moving the ball around so i think in some of those instances and it's not going to show up against the Cavs defense obviously it's just a matter of not being able to necessarily get a a better shot i mean do you see them as just like taking contested like mid-rangers early in the shot clock that's not something that i have noticed from them but every once in a while i see it from middleton yeah but it it, it's just everyone it's just going in that way and then that also gets into something i want to talk with you about which was that they played henson as the starting center in this game they've done that i think a couple times so far i much prefer first of all i don't think henson is that great shakes at any point now but i like the fact that thon just gives them an added dimension offensively there and it's not like henson defensively is this stout rebounder or provides really what Thon is lacking so you know I can get the idea of, of counter programming and providing that but Henson's not really doing that in any way yeah we did note on the 15 and 60 that Henson's numbers on off have been much better I still don't really understand why that is and if any heady bucks observers would like to say that I mean part of it just could be because Thon is fouling so much he's averaging 6.8 fouls per 40 minutes coming in so maybe just that's really has been an issue uh, but I do like makers fit more playing with Giannis as much as possible to open up the paint for him whereas Henson is just going to provide another guy who just gets in the way and then they throw alley-oops that are a little bit too tall for him because he can't jump that well uh, despite his slight frame for Cleveland ho-hum LeBron 30 points 20 shots 8 of 10 from the foul line 9 assists 3 steals I mean it's almost uh, again and we were reminded I mentioned this in the Atlanta section of the 15 and 60 that he just went right through Torian Prince who's like a pretty big guy he went right through Giannis a couple of times just on the drive where he just knocked Giannis backwards and laid it in those guys were guarding or 
shouldn't say guarding each other because LeBron usually doesn't guard Giannis. A lot of that was Jay Crowder or Jeff Green in this one. But Giannis did guard LeBron. That's always an interesting matchup for sure. Love it when these teams get together, especially right now when neither of them is playing any defense. So they're, uh, these games are always really up and down. Um, Derek Rose continues to struggle for Cleveland. I think he now has eight more turnovers than assists on the season for your nominal point guard. That is bad. Uh, and they did get more out of Dwayne Wade in this one. He had an efficient game more along the lines of what you'd like to see from him I think with 10 points four of eight from the field uh not really dominating the offense as much as he did in that Atlanta game or as long as he can provide that level of efficiency I, I think he is a more useful player and if JR is playing as well as he is then you can slide Wade into the right role and a lot of this stuff with you I think you're the one who said that he was a bellwether and I think that's a good word for using with JR and I, I feel like whether even though they often aren't playing together that JR being better just because they play the same position kind of offsets that those sorts of negatives if they come up which they didn't really hear yeah last thing on this one jay crowder only 25 minutes he didn't play that well and one of the reasons that i was a little down on both rose and wade being on this team is because they're guys generally who just shoot because that's what they've always done and they are neither of them are that efficient at this point in their careers whereas love is usually very efficient after the first quarter they kind of stopped going to him but he was just so much bigger and stronger I and mean, he's able even to just post up on henson and maker and just out muscle them and in addition to what he did on the offensive glass and i like them using him to attack more and i think they should do that more against some of these other eastern teams uh, the problem though with him trying to post up against guys who are slighter than him is that if you have wade and rose out there it becomes harder but with jr hitting his shots i think that worked a little bit better and uh interestingly enough Ty Lu, in part i think because milwaukee played a lot of minutes with whether you want to call toletovich or Giannis the center without either henson or maker on the floor uh and neither henson nor maker is really scaring you in the big man department they only played one traditional big and that was love he played center 35 minutes and then they put, went with jeff green at center for the remainder of the time in this one so it'll be interesting to see they tried ante zizic he hasn't worked out very well fry i think has been okay but didn't play in this one so uh it will be interesting to see how lou goes with the big man rotation with tristan thompson out how long are they going to just play kevin love is the only big even in their rotation yeah i don't really have anything else in that uh do you want to move on i think the game the game you were focusing most on was Nick's Hornets, correct? Uh, what I'm focusing on the most right now is our sponsor, Seeking. NBA season in full swing right now. We've got all these awesome League Pass games. We're finally getting to do some good gamer episodes. And the only thing better than listening to Dunked On for the wrap-ups of these games is actually being there yourself via SeatGeek. SeatGeek was invented to save you maybe the two most valuable resources that you have in your life, time and money. It saves you time in two ways one is it aggregates ticket selling sites together so you don't have to check a bunch of sites looking for the best deal you get the best deal in front of you so it's saving you money there and then they also rank each ticket based on value so now instead of having to compare every seat in the arena you can look at the ones that are priced the best in the general area you want to sit in and you can just trust them and click on it real quick you know danny was in the ticket business for a long time i know that he agrees with their algorithms in terms of what is the best deal and so now what used to be a 20 minute process in which you're agonizing and not even sure you got the best thing you have peace of mind that you got the best deal both from price and in terms of the best seat for your money and you saved yourself a ton of time you're out of there in 90 seconds with that seeky gap for my listeners there is a special deal to let them know that you came from us number one and also to save 20 dollars off of your first SeatGeek purchase by entering that familiar code cap space which of course we talk about all the time on the program as we did with the bucks and sons today so use 
that cap space code all one word to get twenty dollars off your first seat geek purchase yeah so i was most focused in on the charlotte hornets and the knicks tonight it was another yarn of a game from these knicks after they had a stirring comeback against the pacers on sunday night the garden crowd was rocking again as they again overcame a double digit deficit downing the hornets late 118 113 and not only did they down them late but i thought the way that this game started was interesting because you had dwight really having a having an effective start and then malik monk malik monk not only took 12 shots but had 18 points at halftime yeah and he was getting off at the expense of frank nilakina as was kemba walker frank did a great job defending in the last game really gave darren collison some trouble was excellent as a help defender kemba walker a little bit craftier frank went under on him a couple of times and kemba was able to beat him for three pointers then another couple of times malik monk a guy you absolutely have to make him put the ball on the floor frank was just backed off of him a little bit too much one-on-one and and monk made some tough shots but frank's really got to close out a little bit harder on him monk of course cooled off in the second half but i mean impressive that he was able to even get 13 three-point attempts up there finished five of 13 from three had 21 points ended up being negative 12 as it turned out the hornets once again struggled in the absence of kemba walker dwight howard as you mentioned also had a really nice game with 21 points four offensive rebounds for him caused the knicks some problems trying to drive to the basket early in the game and jeremy lamb who uh liam was singing his praises did not have that good of a game five of 13 but was negative 14 he he again was trying to be the primary impetus uh, on that second unit along with monk and while they held their own with walker out of the game in the first half which was a, a big accomplishment considering how awful their numbers have been with walker out of the game they could not keep that going in the second half and that's when the knicks uh, made their big comeback early in particular in that fourth quarter outscoring the hornets 35 19 in that final frame something that i've been trying to figure out during this and i think it's a lot is just due to their strange combination of talent but the knicks have had some nice runs including at the end of this game with porzingis at center but they have so many centers and maybe porzingis doesn't want that kind of workload that i understand why they don't want to focus on it but then at the same point you sit there and go like when dwight was on him they didn't really have any sort of solution there yeah they didn't uh and it was very interesting to see porzingis at center for the last five minutes of the game or so they're running with lance thomas at the four doug mcdermott got off in this one 20 points on seven to eight from the field the knicks overall shot 60 percent which was absolutely massive 12 of 25 on threes so they're even better than 60 percent on twos i mean some of the lines in this one porzingis was 10 of 15 Cantor 7 of 8 mcdermott 7 of 8 for 20 points lance thomas was 3 of 3 for 10 points Kyle quinn had 12 points on nine shots it was really just outstanding work from the knicks offensively and they actually have been able to score reasonably well against some of these you know middling east offenses the last couple of games or east defenses the last couple of games here Porzingis had 21 I think in the first half and then was really shut down into late when he was able to get off for a three-pointer very late clock Dwight Howard was guarding him and Dwight was right there he had nowhere to help they just threw the ball to Porzingis and Dwight for some reason with two on the shot clock just let Porzingis shoot a three and you could see like the guys in the Hornets bench were just like up in arms like I can't believe he just let Dwight or, or let Porzingis shoot this um and then he had another drive past Malik Monk on a switch or Monk just you know you, you would hope that you could move your feet fast enough to stay in front of a 7-3 guy at least he just blew right by him for a layup that was also extremely late clock as well and then the Hornets just couldn't score down the end and 
I thought that Neil Aquino was much better in the second half defensively. Even like guys like McDermott and Ennis Cantor, I mean, against a somewhat of a limited offensive team in the Hornets, but McDermott actually played some good defense in isolation a couple of times on Lamb late. He tried to go right at him. And really, it was the second game in a row that the Knicks won defensively in the fourth quarter by holding the Hornets to 19 points. Something that was a little concerning to me late in the game, including on the possession you talked about with Porzingis hitting the three on Dwight, was how late they were getting into their stuff. It was a little bit Toronto-esque. And when you have a matchup like Dwight guarding Porzingis, just start earlier and see if you can get something. And I think they'll figure that sort of thing out. Also having, you know, some younger players and just kind of piecing things together. But there isn't a reason when you're not milking clock because they were trying to come back for most of that time to just wait it out and and get something in the last couple seconds when you need to get a seam in the first place. I mentioned that they really shut down Porzingis until late. They went to a strategy very similar to what they did with Dirk when Porzingis was going high with his pick and pops and he took actually a lot more threes in this game. He's four of eight from downtown. And so they did the Dirk. They did like a squeeze coverage, which is what some coaches call it, where the big guarding Porzingis will squeeze up close to him and then generally they would have to make it as the screen as small as possible and then the guy would go under and Kemba Walker was able to go under on Neil Aquino a couple of times Neil Aquino was only one out of five in this one although he was plus 11 uh had three turnovers as well but eight assists uh, for Neil Aquino but Kemba Walker was able to get him a few times he took a charge going under and then forced Neil Aquino to miss a, a couple of threes so that's something where Neil Aquino is gonna have to get better that's the biggest knock on him in the draft process was that he's not that dynamic getting to the basket he actually has been a much better passer than I thought he might be early on here in these last two games I've been impressed by that and his defense has been as good if not better than advertised at this early juncture so I I think he has a very bright future but he really was not able to uh take advantage of the way that they were guarding Porzingis which basically gave him like a running start to get to the basket or a wide open three anytime he ran a, a pick and roll and then they tried to get Hardaway involved late as the pick and roll ball handler he missed a pretty easy layup as well later on um if you're wondering how it was that the Hornets, other than shooting 40% from downtown themselves, were able to stay in this one with the Knicks shooting 60%, well, they took 16 more shot attempts than the Knicks did, in part due to 40% offensive rebounding. Cody Zeller had seven offensive rebounds, although four of them, I think, were on one possession before he finally got a bullshit foul, a pity <laughs> foul on Porzingis, who blocked him three times in a row. It was very Charles Smith-esque. That's, uh, that's what Clyde referenced uh, on the broadcast. And, and those were Porzingis has three blocks in the game if memory serves he just it was it was a brutal sequence I I retweeted it I don't know if you did too it was but j- just one of those things that happens sometimes and I mean I good for Zeller that he kept at it and ended up getting the foul even though I, I I agree with you that it was more of a pity call but still you know 17 offensive rebounds is absolutely in any circumstance nothing to sneeze at last thing Kyle O'Quinn had a really nice game I mentioned the 12 points also had four assists and he all of those assists were just straight up backdoor cuts from the high post so Quinn always an underrated passer he'll get a little too cute sometimes but in this one he really had it working at a nice chemistry with McDermott I think he downed up Lance Thomas one time as well and for Thomas he's been playing more now you, you remember in that game against Indiana he didn't play until like the fourth quarter uh or late in the third when they tried to get some more injury he played 25 minutes in this one and he looks much better now at least athletically you remember he had those knee problems last year that really wrecked his season and two of two from deep this time 
time it's always going to be a struggle for him shooting out there but if he can keep the defense honest he's a valuable player as the closest thing they have to a perimeter stopper on this team and a point that jared dubin made on twitter during this game was that kyle quinn would probably be the bell of the ball in terms of centers because he's on such a cheap contract but nobody needs centers so when the knicks get noah back they have to clear a roster spot moving a center is the most reasonable thing to do but there isn't really a market for any of those guys so now there are some rumors that they're looking to move uh kuzminskis yeah that's interesting we can talk about that a little bit more because kuzminskis actually played pretty well last season at times I, I thought the knicks are actually starting jared jack now i wonder how long it is as neil Keenan has closed the last two games before he just starts uh they may just start the veteran just because you know that's what you do ramon sessions uh, did not play well early in the season he was a dmp as were both mike beasley and willie herning gomez but o'quinn has played well enough to hold off herning gomez and the knicks are winning games right now the new york knicks are six and four though they have played seven games at home and only three on the road to date and it's not that they're exactly blowing teams out either so they but they do have a a positive net rating and i think uh they're at least a hell of a lot of fun to watch you can say that about them um should we move on here what else do we want to talk about before we depart let's talk a little bit about the dallas mavericks one of a couple of teams that looked pretty moribund going into tonight that ended up getting wins dallas won on the road at the i think it's capital one arena now against the wizards and i said in the 15 and 60 probably about 120 minutes into that 15 and 60 that i just don't trust the wizards and defensive performances like this are exactly why yeah it wasn't good this is as you said moribund dallas offense to be sure and harrison barnes has had some real nice games of late this time he again it was a tough matchup for washington because rick carlisle went right at them with barnes and they just don't have anyone who can stop a good wing on the opposing team in an iso and so they came down and probably you know a third of their possessions in this game with barnes in that went into the half court it was just one four pick and roll with barnes playing the four barnes playing the three one three either get the switch and he would go right at wall they tried to switch wall onto him late as they do with lebron barnes actually torched wall pretty badly he went right at bradley beal overpowered him or just shot over him Otto Porter wasn't strong enough to contain Barnes either. Barnes actually shot eight free throws, which is a lot for him, um, and really just had an outstanding game in his 39 minutes. And Dennis Smith also wasn't incredibly efficient, but did impress with another just nasty dunk. 22 points. It took him 23 shooting possessions to get there, but eight assists were good, and he really rendered some pace for this Mavericks team. The, the Mavs playing at one of the slowest paces in the league, but against Washington's poorest transition defense, and with Dallas getting 93 percent of available defensive rebounds in this game smith was able to push it up find guys in transition they were able to get up 33 point shots or 11 to 30 from three point range and another guy who really was outstanding in this one a guy that i've felt for some time given his minimum salary could help a contender and might be worth giving up a, a second round pick for especially since it would be a late second if in fact the Mavs were willing to move him is solid measure he was uh, plus 15 in this game 10 points 12 rebounds five blocks and five offensive boards uh, really caused big problems for the Wizards yeah I, I was at first I was a little bit surprised and I guess you'd say frustrated that he was in and Nerlens Noel only played five minutes in this entire game but Mejri played really well he deserved those minutes here and something else that concerned me about the Wizards outside of their defense was Dallas played two point guard sized guys because you know there are players who, who are point guards who are bigger but they played 
played two point guard size guys most of this game, and yet the Wizards were not able to take advantage of that. And a lot of times it was Otto Porter that wasn't. Porter had Yogi Ferrell on him for portions of this game, and you're sitting there going, you don't want to tie to he's a max player, but you could tie to he has like six inches on the guy and just wasn't able to get reliable offense. Porter didn't have a great game. Bradley Beal, who's been absolutely killing it, had 23 points, but he had 23 points on 20 shots. Porter only ended up with eight field goal attempts and 13 points total. Yeah, and Wall was able to get to the foul line for 18 attempts, and he did have 14 assists and 23 points, and he, he had Farrell on him late. They didn't put Smith on Wall. They were generally kind of hiding Smith to some degree on Porter as well. And so Wall was able to take advantage of Farrell physically and get to the foul line. But overall, it wasn't an efficient offensive performance in Washington, in part because they just didn't get much in the way of offensive rebounds. And also because Markeith Morris, who played 27 minutes in this one, still doesn't quite look ready for, for prime time. He was only three out of nine. I think they're, they're trying to get him back into the swing of things, but I don't think he's really helping them right now. Um, and last thing, Dirk Nowitzki, six points, three of five, negative eight, only played 19 minutes. And it was justified because when he came back in, especially at the start of the fourth quarter, the Mavs really controlled this game throughout. They ended up winning 113.99, but they led by 10, 15 points most of the game. And the Wizards at the start of the fourth with Dirk in there, and without Beal or Wall in there, as I recall, went on basically a 12-0 run at the start of the fourth quarter to get it back close to tied. And then Carlisle took Nowitzki out, went back to Mejri, and it actually looked much better. And Dallas was able to surge back ahead and, and win pretty comfortably. Carlisle's going to have some real challenging decisions to, to make with this roster and to get everything working and also to develop the young guys and figure out what they want to do. But at least they have more pieces and that's encouraging and I I, en- I also just enjoy watching the Mavericks when their offense is humming at least a little bit which it was in this game so it was nice to I wanted to see Dennis Smith versus John Wall we got less of that specific matchup sometimes than I wanted especially late but it was still enjoyable yeah and Wes Matthews also when he shoots the ball well the Mavericks are, are a different offensive team and, and he was four or seven from downtown tonight all right I think that'll do it for today anything you want to talk about before we depart I mentioned it in that section but I wrote a piece for the sporting news on the Bledsoe trade kind of going through from a couple of different perspectives and you can read that that's really all about now it's except that people can at some point in the near future if they're patreon subscribers whether they're current and thank you for that or if they're coming on they can listen to the mailbag that we are going to put out in the very near future yeah and also a little bit of a slow time for patreon right now with it not being the off season uh we are still doing the mailbags but whenever there's a trade you know that we're going to be up really quickly with new cap projections so all this stuff that we're talking about if it kind of you want to reinforce it or see it in graphical form about you know where the bucks are in terms of the tax next year and how much space the suns are going to have now we did that for subscribers patreon.com slash duncan larue a great way to support the pod if uh, our sponsors don't really work for you or you know you really like the twitter nba show which will be back on thursday by the way with uh, houston and cleveland that'll be an awesome game for the twitter nba show and that'll do it for today also don't forget about our sponsors meundies meundies.com slash cap space get you 20 percent off your first pair talk to y'all tomorrow till then